Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. And my word, don't we need a podcast that is only about rugby? And that is what you're going to get this evening. Uh, with me, I'm Tim. With him, JB. Hello, Timothy. And with him, Phil. Hello, Tim. And I'm going to start again because I just feel we need a little bit of levity after well, this weekend. Can I start then with a bit of, with with a bit of levity? Yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean, I put uh, I put up a tweet um, today. Just uh, as, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. No, no, <laughs> I'm how I read the Sunday Times, and fascinatingly, right, Tim, you replied, and you read the Sunday Times. You must get someone to bring it to you in bed. Remove all of the bits that you don't want to read, and only read those bits. Or alternatively, alternatively, I work for the same company that owns the Times newspaper, and I get a free subscription to the Times and read it on the app. Ah, the app. Here was me thinking that Rupert Murdoch himself bought bought you the sections. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get selectively sent just the sections I like. Yeah, Uh, and here's another bit of levity, um, which came via Eddie Jones. Oh, yes. we're, we're about to start Aotearoa, Super Rugby Aotearoa next week. What are you anticipating seeing you know, amongst the New Zealand teams, given you've, you've given all that about the All Blacks? Uh, just so many good young players, mate, because you've got three of the biggest uh, academies in the world. <laughs> Fiji, Samara and Tonga. <laughs> 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 Woo! <laughs> Live it. Yes, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> play. Um... Just to well, something on that. When he said you've got three of the best academies in the world, or biggest academies in the world, it's that a standing joke in New Zealand because it felt like the the host was onto that joke before he. Yeah, said they were it. going. Oh, here he goes. Oh, there it is. Yeah. If it if it is, it's the first time I've heard it. Very, Very good. good. Yeah, yeah, love it. So I'm going to tell you at the very start of this podcast that uh, JB is very very excited today because JB, I have a quiz. I'm not going to tell you what, uh, what it's called. I'll spring it upon you when the time is ready. This is the man who has brought some of the most memorable moments ever recorded no, on this or any other sporting podcast. Um, yeah, the, the man who came up with Springbok or Nazi war criminal has got a quiz. Yeah, don't build it, build, don't build it up too much because as Phil will tell you, my track record on Zoom quizzes has not been <laughs> over lockdown. You did it right. JB did a quiz the other week, which was, it was a very, very good quiz with the most unnecessarily complicated scoring system that was almost impossible to execute over Zoom. So it turned what would have been an incredible quiz to basically a farce. 
Yeah, my uh, my error was not making it complex enough. No, my, my <laughs> error, simple friends. Yeah, that might be the problem. I did a fam. I did a family one today that my uh, it was my brother's turn to do it, and um, he he came up with a blinding one. He did loads of family fortunes rounds, and he ended it uh, with a, a horse race, a virtual horse race where you you bet all of your points. Oh, nice. on a horse and have the chance to either get double points depending on where you finish double points three quarters again half again a quarter or or nothing it was it was wicked brilliant how, way how to did, end the quiz it was great how did you do uh, I, I i won i had the most points before the horse race and i i just had the most points at the end of the horse race so you know classic, classic. He, he got the he got the brawn um and i got the brains <laughs> well a friend of ours sent us a quiz right or a round of their family quiz and it was no word of a lie six different grains of flour as in baking flour uh, flour you make cake, cakes with and you had to name the types of flour so it was pictures of the types of flour yeah like <laughs> it was uh, it, the mother-in-law is a published food author <laughs> but um None of, none of the rest of the family are published food authors, so it's a bit unfair for. That's as close as you. That's that. also as close as you can get to flour at the minute. It's uh, it's got the highest street value of any white powder just now. <laughs> very, very true. Um, I tell you what, let's start with something else, which is um, quite a meaty little topic that we didn't see coming. But how how appropriate was it that last week we on our second podcast we looked at England v Wales in 2015? We did that, decided to do that, and look back at that game from the World Cup without knowing what was coming the next day, which is Sam Burgess dropping bombs all over the shop. What, what an incredible uh, interview, video, podcast. Uh, Alex Payne, James Haskell, House of Rugby, and Sam Burgess for being on it. It was just... I, my, my jaw was on the floor for half of the hour-long yeah. interview. It was amazing. I remember yeah. a rugby player being so candid about, yeah. about like personal relationships. Yeah, I, I can't remember anyone in a sporting environment actually being that open and honest and transparent. And there was no, there was no filter there No, I was gonna, the, the bit that was amazing for me was uh, it, it barely had to be teased out of him. He was just like, yeah, I'm gonna, here we go. I'm ready to go. Wind me up and I'm going. And he's got, I mean, he's retired now as of last year. Um, he obviously does media stuff in Australia, which is very lucrative. But actually this probably uh, improves his standing in Australian rugby circles, um, having a dig at some, some famous high-profile poms. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, how, often do, how often do rugby players make the back pages of, of the news, uh, uh, newspapers, particularly like retired ones? Not often. You know, rarely does, I don't know, Anthony Watson say something and it's splashed all, splashed all over the papers. Do people, do people read actual papers at the minute? That's, I'm not sure. What was people's general habits? There are enough people going out to work that, that would, they'd see it, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Most people up and whatnot. But Sam Burgess, I mean, it made BBC. It made everywhere. I mean, from his point of view and from his media standing, a bit of a, bit of a masterstroke. Although, you know, I wouldn't like everyone to do it all the time, I guess. It would, there'd be a lot of like, scores to settle if everyone had that approach. Everyone would be like, gunning for everyone else. It'd be chaos. Yeah. Does anyone think his criticisms of Mike Ford are fair? Well, their their opinion, aren't they? Um, you just have to remember this is his side of the story. 
and this is his the way he's interpreted it. This is his um, opinion and interpretation. It's not it's not ba- it's not fact. Mike Ford would I'm sure see it very very differently. So would George Ford. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Although I would say it was interesting listening to UJB on the Rugby Dungeon with Carl Ferns, and Carl Ferns' view was probably pretty similar about Mike Ford's behaviour. Amazing, because that was all sparked off when you think about it by Sam Burgess coming in and someone had to give way. And it's either going to be Kyle Eastmond, who at the time, in my mind, probably one of the best centres in England, certainly in, in the Premiership, or Carl Ferns, who was one of the best back rows in the Premiership. <laughs> like, Sam Burgess didn't have any easy options, but that also meant Mike Ford didn't have any easy options. And he had, he had to dance because the... You know, the ownership wanted Sam Burgess, Sam Burgess to play. And Sam Burgess came in on what we can only assume was mega, mega money. was yeah. 500k plus. Because it was, it was at one point allegedly going to be funded by the RFU. And all the other clubs obviously kicked off. This was a story that went round in 2014-15. And all the other cl- clubs kicked off. And it, was, it wasn't, um, as it turned out, funded by the RFU. So there was a significant sum of money for to get Burgess to England and to Bath. So he was going to play. Yeah. Now, what I, I think... I, 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 sorry, I would just play devil's, ad, devil's... Purely devil's advocate. It would be... If what Sam Burgess said is, is absolutely true, true of those two individuals, broadly speaking, then I don't think George Ford would necessarily have got 69 caps for England and Mike Ford would have been so readily employed in so many places. So I'm sure there is, you know, there is interpretation here, but it's it's pretty explosive accusations that he was, uh, he was firing at those individuals. Yeah. I I mean, this is one of our favorite sayings, isn't it? Many things can be true at once. Mm. Um, There is no doubt Mike Ford must be one hell of a coach because I, you know, how much do you say? He has a mixed reputation in the game of rugby. Not from his coaching, but other things, I would say. But one of the things that is not in doubt is the quality of his coaching. So he must be not just a good coach, but an, aw- but, but an awesome coach. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, maybe Sam Burgess didn't, uh, didn't like him or, you know, Carl didn't get on with him. In fact, I, I, I know that they, um, I know they didn't. I know that the, the, the many players in, in Bath didn't. Um, but also I find it very, very hard to believe that Mike Ford can in any way have influenced the England campaign. That's that's the bit that I find a bit weird. Like, Sam Burgess took such umbrage with Mike Ford's comment in the press, in the press, and then linked them to Mike Ford making a play, like a remote play for the England job, partway through a major tournament. That's the, that's the bit that just doesn't quite make sense to me. I, I I get Burgess's perception, but I think he's just linking it slightly incorrectly from where I am and it's a very distant limited view yeah I mean you would have to be a mixture between Machiavelli and Frank Underwood to be able to pull off getting the England job just by interviewing in uh, in the papers uh, and Darren Brown uh, like you'd have to have the, the whole <laughs> repertoire <laughs> and, and I, I just got and for George for I mean there could also be the excuse that George Ford was just annoyed that he wasn't playing in the biggest match of his career. I mean, yeah. Stephen wrote a great article on this, actually, when he, he wrote this riposte to 
well, this is what could have happened. And if you can get back onto that Stephen Jones article, God, this is the third mention of the Times app. And we're, you know, we're not even sponsored by, by them. But do read it because it's a very good, thoughtful, um, uh, I, I can't say what now, analyst, uh, uh, thought, thoughtful version of events. Here's a little bit. I, I take this as a bit of, uh, you know, like life advice out of this situation. I think if you are going to come forward with anything that might be controversial, as Sam Burgess did, I would just always say, I felt. Because no, people can't argue with your feelings, but when you say someone was something and they did something, well, that, that, that can be disputed. And it, is just, it was just as it was taken in through the mind of Sam Burgess. One of the things that Sam Burgess said, and it's one of my pet hates, um, is he did the you-know-me thing which is, you know me, I just, take people, uh, I just take people as I see them. I always think when people say that, that's for me to decide, that's not for you to tell me. <laughs> I, he just, well, I just take people you know, as and when they come, but Mike Ford's a snake. Yeah, <laughs> Chairman Mao, you know me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, he, he, what he's saying is, may well be true, but I like to come to that conclusion myself. <laughs> now, the bit that both Haskell and Burgess... Like they joked around it and hinted at it, but I'd I'd love to get a bit more on it. Was the other failings at 2015? So they joked about like the the bloated excessive leadership group. I mean, they were saying that a leadership group of 20 people in a 31 or 32 man squad at one <laughs> stage, which just sounds insane. And like meeting the 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 Lancaster meetings about meetings and you, you definitely get the impression Haskell hates the culture as much as JB does yeah the the Lancaster culture was... Was, yeah I mean that's the thing about James Haskell which is um he might hate it but he was a good soldier he's, he's always been a good soldier he he certainly was although he, he, the way he tells the leadership groups where he got got invited into one leadership meeting <laughs> didn't have the right body language and then never got invited to another one. Um, I, th I thought that was hilarious, but I just I wanted more on that side of things because we got from Burgess. Like Burgess evidently puts a chunk of it on the Ford's shoulders, the failings in 2015. He also evidently put a chunk of it on that leadership setup and, and something to do with the coaching setup. I just wanted more information on on that other side of it because that's where I see the failings. Well, I think Haskell might have an autobiography coming soon, so... He's got to keep his powder dry. Yeah. Hey, what a flanker. Coming to all good bookshops near you. What a title. Well, has anyone got anything else to say about this? No. I will, so I, I do, but not about the 2015 stuff. I just, I, so two things to say about the Burgess interview. I, I only listened to the snippet about the 2015 stuff. So but, the whole thing is worth listening to. It's a really good pod and you get a lot like... I'd listen to it before you listen to us if possible. It's just a, it's just yeah. a disappointment after that. <laughs> we can't do the full hour plus justice. But the two things I'd say about Burgess. So number one... What Massive head? Well, cow head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a life that bloke has had. Yeah. Like the, the stories he was telling about boozing it up, partying it up in Australia in New York, in Los Angeles, in parties with his, his best mate, Rusty Crowe, and Beyonce, and Leonardo DiCaprio, and Seth Rogen, and Jared Butler, and just like, the, the places that he's been with that side of thing is just unbelievable. It's but, like one of the films, isn't it, when they kind of fetishize the, you know, the, you know, the, 
the northern everyman and they put him in some weird party and he gets on just because he is, you know, Mr. Down to Earth. But where did he grow up? Dewsbury. I mean, just going on holiday to LA for someone from Dewsbury. <laughs> hell of an achievement. Do you remember <laughs> when, he, when he first went to the Rabbitohs, uh, he, was, he was heralded and Russell Crowe did a, did a, a, a spoken word dramatic video <laughs> <laughs> to announce his arrival. He was 21 as well. 21. I know, it's unreal. He'd only ever lived at home. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. And so that side of things, just listen to it for that. Because it is a bit like the, it's like watching an episode of Entourage. You, you almost like <laughs> put yourself in the position of the bloke who's doing that. And that is brilliant. But the other side of it, even though he was, he was doing a lot of slagging off, what I thought was, he's a kind of bloke you would love to play with and loved, I'd actually love to play for. And, it, and it, I was comparing him in my head with um, Kieran Reid. And Kieran Reid, I said this when we did the, the All Blacks review, um, like, not Legacy, the other one. the um, All or Nothing. One. All or Nothing, thank you, Tim. And Kieran Reid, who I love as a player, there was just this, like, I, it always felt like he was saying one thing but thinking another. His, his mouth said one thing, but his eyes said something else. And there was, like, a falseness behind his, behind his words. And with Burgess, you got none of that. You got what came across as genuine honesty and above anything else, above anything else, authenticity. And that is actually, I think in, in rugby and I think in leadership, um, providing you're not a, a dickhead, providing you've got that, that kind of honesty and authenticity. I think that's a really, really important leadership quality. And you can see why he has been so successful in rugby league. Very true. That uh, the, if People don't mind you for who you are. It's when you pretend to be something, something that you're not. You see, yeah. it doesn't really matter if you're nuts, as long as you're legitimately nuts. Yeah, and you, you get caught out if you try and be something that you're not. Ultimately, you will do. I, thought that, I just thought that was, it was brilliant. And he, he said something that was really, really interesting when he was talking about the England camp and what they'd done in Australia after they'd failed with the Rabbitohs. So Rabbitohs, the year before they won the grand final, they had 40 years of not winning anything. Um, the year before they won the grand final, they got to the grand final and failed. And he said to, uh, about the squad, you need to have honesty amongst yourselves and you need to all have it out. And if you think this is the wrong direction or the right direction, everyone puts that out there and you make a decision which direction you go in. And when you make that decision, you can't have anyone lurking in the background wanting to say, I told you so. You've got to have every single member of that squad bought in and pointing in the right direction. And that's something he's, he, which I think is really, really powerful and really, really true and important in team, teamwork. And that was something that was valuable in Rabbitohs, but was missing in England in 2015. But he didn't go into any more as to why it was missing. And I think that's actually the case from amateur rugby all the way up. I, I can tell you from personal experience, being the guy who always wanted to tell you, um, I told you so, that actually... It's ex he's exactly right. You've got to do that, no matter how hard it is. And it is bloody hard. And it's actually, I, I mentioned a book, um, Range, which I read uh, last year, it was, uh, David Epstein, which I really highly recommend. It, there's a chapter on that about um, the NASA Challenger disaster. And one of the points that was made, one of the, like from all of the reviews, and there's lots of good stuff in there, but one of the points was precisely that point that Sam Burgess <laughs> raised that, uh, Dispute it initially, 
But once you make a decision, everyone has got to back that decision. So what you're saying is Sam Burgess just reads books and Cotton regurgitates opinions as his own. <laughs> Phil, what an accusation that is. That's, that's the explosive accusation for this week. I actually took that as Burgess took down the challenger. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, some good news uh, coming this week. Hang on, hang on. Before you move on. Oh, go on. Launch my quiz now because it's the perfect time. Oh, okay. Oh, is okay. it to do with is it to do with Big Sam? All roads lead to Big Sam. <laughs> it might be. So the quiz is simply called this: Ford or Burgess. So I'm going to read out some information, and you two have got to shout out Ford or Burgess, right? And if you shout out Ford or Burgess, you then get the opportunity to answer the question in full. If you're wrong, I will continue reading, and and the other guy can ha- can have a go. Okay. okay. Okay, so Ford or Burgess? Number one. From the north of England, he arrived at Bath with a reputation for defence. A rugby league man who played... played Burgess! In... Oh no, hold on, because that could yeah. be Ford as well. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! Incorrect him. I will continue to read. Um, a rugby league man who played Super League in Australia. He represented his country at, in a Great Britain shirt and has been part of some famous wins. He recently had... <laughs> Recently, he had been in the press for a spat with another high-profile rugby league convert. For some, he was responsible for England's poor performance during their world, during their world, sorry, during their home World Cup. Um, so, that is Mike Ford. It is Mike Ford. Congratulations. <laughs> right. Very good. Question number two. From the north of England, he arrived at Bath with a reputation for defence. <laughs> <laughs> Eagman, who played, he played in Super League in Australia. He represented his country in a Great Britain shirt and has been part of some famous wins. He recently, he recently <laughs> in the press for a spat with another high-profile rugby league convert. For some, he was responsible for England's poor performance in their home World Cup. Burgess. Correct. Sam Burgess. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Very well done. <laughs> right. Okay. Number three. At six foot four, 111 Sam feet, Burgess. It's, it's a Burgess, but it's not Sam Burgess. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Foot four and 114 kgs. He played prop for Leeds Rhinos before moving to Australia, where he'd be joined by his brothers. He had stints in France, but last played for the mighty Salford Red Devils. He has had loan spells with Doncaster and Harlequins Rugby League. Is it Tom or Phil? I'll go for Phil. It is not Phil. There isn't a Phil, is there? No, he's there not a Phil. There might so... be a Phil. Gone. Phil. Oh, there, there is actually a Phil Burgess, but he's a rugby union player who played uh, Sevens, and I think he played for Loughborough. Oh, okay. Um, would, you like, would you like to have a go at question number three? Give me Luke Burgess. Is correct. Oh, yeah, there is a Luke, isn't there? Yeah. There's, okay. two, uh, there's two Luke Burgesses. There's a rugby league and a rugby union one. All right, question number four. Uh, born in 1984, his usual position is scrum half. He represented Australia. Luke 30... Burgess. Correct, Phil. Played for Toulouse and uh, your beloved Benetton, didn't he? Zebra. Zebra. Was it Zebra? Okay, number five. A member of the Bradford Bulls Academy. This player went on to have 900 plus professional appearances so far. He... No? Mike Ford. In... It is a Ford, but not Mike Ford, Phil. 900 plus. Let's say that again. 900 plus professional appearances so far. 
That, that, can't, that can't be right, can it? <laughs> 900 points. Sorry, 900 points so far. Whoops. Um, <laughs> I was say, that's 30 games, a, 30 games a season yeah. for 30 years. Um, he also played for Tigers, making his first start against Gloucester, where he was captain for, for the game and played number 10. George Ford. Incorrect. Joe Bill? Ford. Correct. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All this right. is ace. Here we go. Named after the patron saint of England, this player is known for his handling skills. George Burgess. George Burgess. Yes, Tim Cock. <laughs> I, I, I will finish off. Known for his handling skills, dot, 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 but not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. This player was very closely linked with St. Helens prior to re-signing his latest contract. Uh, before before this, he was part of the Wigan Academy before moving to... George Ford. Is correct. Okay. A shallow river with good footing where a, where a river or stream may be crossed by wading or inside of it... Uh, to, to ford a river? Uh, it is a ford. A ford. Uh, um, uh, well, there's no Eddie. I was thinking Eddie, like the name of the bit of a river, it's called an Eddie, uh, but I can't... Born in uh, born on April twenty third, nineteen eighty four, this player has a, has appeared for the Lions. He is now a strength and strength and conditioner coach for the for the Scottish RFU, and he previously played hooker. Ross Ford, correct. Ah, good. <laughs> um, last two now. Born on April seventh, nineteen forty seven, an American industrialist and business magnate, found, founder of a. <laughs> What's his a, name? And Chief Henry Ford. Correct. <laughs> and last but not least, he gained worldwide fame for, for, for starring as Han Solo. Uh, Harris, Harris. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Correct. I have no idea what the f- are, but I'm going to call it, call it a draw. Congratulations, boys. <laughs> well played, Tim.
Very good, JB. Outstanding effort. <laughs> Ridiculous. I'm surprised there wasn't more Burgesses, actually. Uh, I think there's six of each there, wasn't there? Or five, 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 one, five, six. Oh, I missed, I missed one. You missed one, one Burgess? Yeah, did. Origi- originally meant as a Freeman of the Borough. Is a Burgess, is an MP. Oh, is that right? Uh, okay. Never mind. Next time. You know, we get we get probably two or three emails or Twitter DMs or some or Facebook messages or whatever of people asking what episode was it that JB did uh, Springbok or Nazi war criminal. I think there are a lot of people in lockdown do, like looking to do rugby quizzes for their rugby club. <laughs> we should probably we should probably dig it out and find out where it is so we can share that one. As long as they give us the props for it. If anyone's ever listening through their through our back catalogue, if you're ever sad or bored enough to do that, and you happen to come across it, drop us a, a Twitter DM at Rugby Podcast and just let us know what year, what episode it is, because it'd be quite useful to actually yeah. know. And then we'll we'll we'll, sh- we'll share that information. All I say is you you yeah crack on, use it with your rugby club social Zoom quiz or whatever, but uh, just just let your teammates know where you got it from. There we go. Excellent. Right, some good news. Well, Premiership Rugby has a pencilled-in start date of August the 15th. Yeah. Which is good. good. So we were only talking last week. They just need to make put a date down, even if it has to change later. Yeah, and I think they've given themselves a bit of contingency for, for this. So most clubs have said they are start, they're resuming training uh, by the 15th of June. So that actually gives them kind of eight weeks, nine weeks until that first game. Some of them will actually have even slightly more than that. So it, it's plenty of time to, to do pretty much a full pre-season, albeit certainly the first chunk of it, you're going to be working in smaller groups while you work your way through the, the recommended stage one, stage two return to play. So it's positive. I, I, think, I think they're sensible to set it a little bit off because it, even within that timescale, you've got a little flex if a few things do go wrong. And if you start mass testing and one or two clubs have got a, a chunk of their, their playing squad who are infected, you can isolate them for two weeks and still return on that date. So that's, it's positive for me. Yeah, and, and the suggestion is that it will then be finished by like towards, towards the end of October, mid, mid to late October. Yeah, at which point, played, they'll, yeah. If they, if they played the full nine rounds and then the semi and the final sequentially be finished for the 24th of October. Which, which, which would allow time for the European Cup? So it depends. So the big question is what's going to happen with the Autumn Internationals? Because it, it would allow one rest week if the Autumn Internationals were to return as planned. Because on the 7th of October, England is supposed to play New Zealand, Ireland play Australia, Wales play yeah. Fiji, Scotland play Argentina, and you're then into a four-week cycle. So there's a little bit of question mark on that, and you could potentially play the final three rounds of the Heineken Cup before the new year and get effectively all of this year's fixtures, with the exception of the Six Nations, um, concluded by the end of this calendar year. Mm. Which, and then with the suggestion that you might go short break into a brand new season, which would be aligned globally with the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Which, which it'd be amazing if they could do that. Uh, maybe. I mean, yeah. I, do you know what? I, I don't care. I, I, I thought I'd be raring for more rugby. 
and I just am not. I, I, I can't get excited. And the reason is, I think I've, I think I've discovered, is I'm too worried thinking about the actual local club game. I, 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 think, this is, I think this is how it must work. Well, at least this is how it works for me. I know it doesn't work like, like it's for you boys because you've stopped playing. But without club rugby, I'm kind of, I kind of don't miss the, in, in, don't miss the, don't miss the pro game. I guess club rugby is like the fire, and then the petrol would be the club game. But without it, you just throwing petrol on, you know, cold ground. It doesn't really. <laughs> uh, I I must say, not playing. I'm excited. I'm excited to get rugby back. Um, yeah. I'm I'm excited to get live rugby back in any capacity really i'm looking forward to the super rugby Aotearoa next week that starts um yeah i mean, I, I, I watch it i'm just saying i'm yeah i'm more looking forward to the resumption of talk h than i am and uh, any of that stuff well so i mentioned super rugby there just before we quickly mention that um have you seen the proposals or the potential proposals for solving the uh, autumn international problem and by that I mean global travel and getting money into the, the home nations and, and all rugby nations coffers all I saw was today the uh, I can't remember the chief exec or chairman which whatever it is of the RFU saying that they'd really welcome it being reduced from two meters to one meter so because it would allow a, a much greater number of people it could be worth 12 million pounds to the RFU as one union during the autumn internationals alone. Yeah, so, there's a small problem here, right? Which is an economic one, which is the club game really relies on the broadcasting. So they've got to get it on TV. They've got to get the advertising. That that's how they're going to make the cash. The international game is all about opening Twickenham and getting that match day revenue. So it makes me wonder if COVID is still a thing by then, which I suspect it won't be, but who knows? It could be a second wave or whatnot. But if it is still a thing, I would be surprised if they cancel the internationals altogether because it does not make sense to open Twickenham. They, they would lose money, whereas club rugby makes money because it's a TV sport. It, 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 I, I would assume it would depend on the, the TV deals for it. Because, yeah, I mean, look at 80,000 people eating and drinking in Twickenham is very lucrative. Like, you, you, like on average, between 100 and 200 quid a ticket, there's tickets that are far more expensive than that if you're in a box. Plus then, most people are drinking multiple beers and having pies, burgers, all the rest of it. Like, it is a very lucrative um, event for the RFU when you have that. It's um, made me... Sorry, Phil, come. No, I mean, that... that it... That is the most important thing for for them, but they could they could at least soften the blow if you've got a nice big TV deal, and if no one's watching live sport even at that point, or there's certainly fewer people watching live sport at that point, there might be a, a better TV deal on offer to try and attract people to. Conversely, but, there might be a worse one. But I wonder if that would mean they do. You know, if there's no crowd, don't use don't use trucking them because it costs so much to run. Yeah or the AJ Bell, or wherever it is, uh, you know, the cheapest ground to hold it, presumably. I mean, that, that's a fair point. Um, so I'm, so just, I'm just worried about that. And also, maybe they open Twickenham, and say for the social distancing, you know, of a metre or whatnot, or people don't come. Do you want to be part of, because corporate is a huge part of uh, the Twickenham experience, well, the Twickenham revenue. 
do you want to be going to corporate when not many people are there? And also, is the money going to be there to fund the corporate stuff too? That's the other question. I, I assume the corporate is really lucrative. Or are you sorry? Are you no, meaning no. the money from the from the banks and from the yeah um, inv- insurance companies and whoever else? Yeah. No, if you're looking at cash flow and you're like, Christ, we're down by God knows how much. Do you fancy going to tricking them, lads? No, ten, not ten, ten grand for a box. Nope. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot more uh, on the economic side of running the internationals than simply saying, hey, you know, let's go, particularly if COVID's still around. And I, I just, on the, on the meter rule, the rel- so in my mind, relaxing it to one meter won't, it, it will not allow you to get 40,000 people in Twickenham. Yeah. I, yeah. As, as in, so the seats are roughly 50 centimeters wide. So you, you wouldn't have, if you relax it to one meter, you wouldn't have half the number of people in. You'd have more like a quarter of the number of people in, actually potentially even, even fewer. And that's if you can work out a way to get 40,000 people or, or 25 or 20,000 people, depending on how many you get, in through limited entrances and out through limited exits. You, you'd have to be filling the stadium for like six hours. No, and, I, not, and not allowed anyone to go to the toilet. I don't think, I'm not sure it'll be that much of an issue when, it, when they do it. But certainly the optics. I mean, you know, if you look, go to Sherpa Ikea and the <laughs> sort of all the way around the car park. Now they move relatively quick, but you just look at it and it's intimidating. And that's, I don't know, 100 people. With 40,000 people, it's going to be unbelievable. I mean, where would they queue all the way down, down the streets in Twickenham? You'd have to start getting them in at like 6 a.m. Like you, you literally have to have time slots and like time slots to go to the toilet. Like you just couldn't, not it's with not, that many people. Not if it's still a one meter. Rate. Let's let's leave them to work that out because yeah. who knows where we'll be six months from now, or four, well, four months from now. Now, so, sorry, go on. I was going to say the the other two options that were muted by Bill Sweeney. It was who's yeah, that's right, chief exec of of the RFU. Um, so one of them was to run. It was a home and away Six Nations, which I think would run in back end of this year and start of next year. So five games autumn and then the usual five next year, which would be if you could do it, if you could get the TV revenues and you could get a number of people, however many that is, in, could be quite lucrative. The other one was a, a the, the, the phrase that was used was a festival of rugby. And it would be an autumn... Now, I think it'd be quite interesting to watch. I don't think it will happen, but the plan was a eight-team tournament held in London with the players, I presume, in bubbles, so they all play and train and they're all tested so they can stay safe. That's how to do the crowd. Everyone in those bubbles, like Bubble Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But So the, the teams were the Six Nations plus South Africa plus Japan, two pools of four, top of the pools go to a, a knockout and it might be a semi-final final it might just be a straight final okay. doing that as a festival of rugby tell me if i'm just a little bit of a cynic here but the reason i love the six nations in fact the reason i love all rugby as it stands at the moment is it means something you know when you see wales england trotting out in in early spring it means something that that fixture has been in the die for god knows how long and yeah, it's a historic rivalry, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it, it's an amazing event. I can't get excited about something which I've just made up on the spot. I understand what you're saying. I think we, I think we, can, we should probably, we should accept, I, I think your cynicism is, is reasonable and well-placed, but I think we just have to cut a bit of slack and say, 
this is this is about self-preservation and survival for people that have are trying to hustle to claw back some of the massive amount of money they've lost and we should probably give them a little bit of leeway on that as long as it's, if it's if it was an every year thing i'd have an issue this yeah i don't be, is it this is i mean you can see it as a sort of event and i don't i've got to be careful how i say this because of course when New Orleans had its floods, it was a much... Well, I don't know. Was it more severe? It doesn't really matter if it's more severe or not. But there's an amazing game when the New Orleans Saints came home. And it was their first, ho- first home game. Drew Brees is there, pointing at the roof, saying it's no longer leaking, yada, yada, yada. It's an, ama- it's an amazing game. And I would like rugby to return with a meaningful game, whether it be mo- meaningful autumn internationals or meaningful something, but not some sort of contrived tournament. I, I think, Tim, you're right. I, uh, anything that will give stability to rugby I, it, rugby is very uncertain and very unstable and we're talking about clubs and potentially even unions going bankrupt so anything that can guarantee that that or at least pushes towards preventing that from happening is good in my mind even if it is a more contrived um format but yeah it's like it's like we're going to go to the pub but it's not going to be the same as going to the pub when they do open or the gym's not going to be quite the same as going to the gym and you're just going to have to accept that and suck it up for a, for a little bit. Same with this. Just, well, we just have to suck it up and it'll, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get through it and it'll be back to normal. The m- more interesting one is, and let's not go into a really big conversation in this, just, just on briefly, your gut feeling about um, rugby becoming a spring, summer and early autumn sport rather than autumn, winter, spring in, the, in as, the UK. For me, as long as the Six Nations stays basically where it is um i'm not too fussed and i I think there are benefits of aligning the global calendar and i'd like to see consistent more consistency in playing squads as in you get the the internationals together for a chunk you get the teams together for a chunk the, the club teams together for a chunk and you can see that consistency across the squad um it, it might mean you're playing on slightly harder grounds at times, but we have sprinklers. We can, I'm sure we, I'm sure we can deal with slightly harder grounds. Um, that's not the worst thing in the world. So broadly, I'm okay with it. I mean, the game is going this way anyway. So people are saying, well, we'll have unlimited phases and hard ground. Well, we already have plastic pitches and we already have access to Chiefs. So, you know, there's your unlimited phases and, and there's your hard ground. So and also not... we do live in the UK. Like I don't know about it was. <laughs> I thought about putting the central heating on today. Yeah, we were talking. So about let's, getting... You know, a little bit of perspective. I know we've had some nice weather recently, but come on. <laughs> You've not heard. Uh, so I'm, I, I prefer. I don't know. The answer is I honestly don't know. I think there are signs of warning in the fact that the sun wolves and the dragons, jaguars, jaguars. Sound like they might be closing down, and the you know the reason that's a warning because you know you can't just invent things out of nothing. You know it has to have some sort of basis. But if it works and the global season works, maybe they're on something. I, I don't know. Jumping the into the grassroots, jumping into the grassroots thing just for a second, and think about how this works practically. Would the would the club season follow the rugby season? If it didn't, what effect would that have? And if it but, did, what effect would that have on rugby clubs who? have probably have a big income stream on events through off-season rugby I, months. I draw the line here. The club season cannot move to the summer. It just can't. It won't. Yeah, well, that, and that's what I mean. What, how, how would it work if it doesn't? It wouldn't. It would be a disaster. I mean, absolute disaster. I mean, we already have a load of events in, in clubs during the winter. It'd be even worse during the summer. 
we spoke about it last week, didn't we? All the players going to um, to weddings and bloody holidays and school holidays and this and the other. And you know, we want to be playing in the winter, in the mud, in the rain and snow. We want to be getting in, in into a nice cozy clubhouse. I'm not bothered about that. I'll do do the do the weight training in the gym all winter. Oh, get a yeah, hench and then uh, and then go out and play all summer. I like the sound of that. And I tell you what, though, I tell you what, and this is the biggest one, and people don't realise it. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. The biggest hurdle we're going to have is attracting players for pre-season in February. Good luck with that. It, I mean, that's a rugby league position, isn't it? Did, it's horrible. Did, awful. It, it, here's a question. Did rugby league amateur game follow uh, rugby league professional game? Yeah. Is so, it? No, there is a winter league and there's a summer league. So Mancunian, oh, is that right? Have they split the code again? Yeah, and I honestly don't know the answer to this. There'll be someone out there who does know the answer. So we, I played for a rugby team called Mancunians, right? And they play in the summer. I know Langworthy Reds play in the summer. But I also know there were teams in Warrington where we used to get our players from who were playing for the, playing for the Mancunians who were playing winter league. So I know there's a bit of both going on. Uh, okay. Doesn't surprise I, me that rugby league... Yeah, I couldn't tell you the details, but I'm sure they do both. And there's yeah. a lot been said about the, um, the, what the effect this would have on the game of rugby union and, oh, this, this is the end of big props and uh, it's the end of scrummaging. I, no. I, I, I kind of don't, I, I, I don't really buy into this. Not at all. I do not buy into that one bit. You know, if you scrummage on a plastic pitch, you get so much purchase. I mean, the idea that you can't apply your power or your strength or your technique no, that's all you can apply because the ground doesn't count. You know, you've got a great leveller. I, I do not buy that for one second. Yeah. Strength, strength and pack weights will go up but because you buy it. Maybe this ties into conversations we've had in re- previous weeks where we say, regardless of what seasons you're playing and when you're playing the game, so long as you keep rugby essentially looking like rugby and not trying to radically change the laws too much, then crack on. Yeah. 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 I, I, I just I can't see those people are saying it's going to totally depower the game, depower the scrum, uh, flanker like props. Because nope. the, if you ever like, if the, the game does get faster and you you start to think, oh, actually, let's let's put a flanker in at prop and let's have a, let's have some fifteen stone, sixteen stone props, then a team will just identify that, put their biggest props in there, and, and do what South Africa did to England in the World Cup final. And just absolutely destroy you every time that they get the opportunity, and it like the the disincentive for doing that is so great that you'd be no, you you'd be mad to do it. Yeah. So just just on that, right? I'll take it a step further. Let's not talk about um, flankers playing at prop. Let's talk about one of the best loose head props on the planet, swapping sides to tight head on a normal and getting dismantled. First by Genge and then by uh, Leicester Tigers back, back at prop. Dismantled. So it's just not a thing. It, it's, I just can't see that being a thing. And you know, on those hard surfaces where you're not slipping over, it will be all about power and weight. You're not going to, it'll be the opposite effect. I guarantee it. Uh, well, we've had just a, a bunch of messages on this. Uh, Kelvin, who's a Leicester Tigers fan, says um, he's largely in favour of a global season, but desperately doesn't want domestic summer rugby as he does family things at that time of year on weekends, as you mentioned, JB. I think that will be quite a popular opinion, I think. I think that's, yeah. the, one, that's the one part of this. Yes, we want a global season. 
because that facilitates the most efficient use of rugby players' time and it stops it being a 12-month season. The flip side of that is the unintended consequences. And I think I, I don't think it's been a success for rugby league. And I, my, my gut feeling is it won't be a success for rugby union. Definitely yeah. not if you move the community game, the, the lower league level game. What was your favourite time of year to watch a live rugby game? Early March. Yeah, I'd say spring. A, a, a crisp, a crisp like spring more, a, a crisp spring day when it's fresh, fresh in the air, but yeah. but cold but clear. Yeah, dig into that. The Heineken Cup group stages feel rather special to me. Okay. Um... So that's that. They start October, don't they? But then yeah. I guess they go through December, and October, January, November, December, and January. Yeah, yeah. It's wrapped up warm. That that for me is the best time to watch. When we went to Belfast, that's the best time to watch it. That was cold. That so was cold. real cold. <laughs> that was mid December. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah, because we had Christmas carols. Yeah. That, well, that was well, great I, I, fun. I will be honest, okay, there are occasions where it is so cold that rather than watch the game from the chair that I have allocated to me on the pitch <laughs> side, I go into a little room just down the tunnel and watch it on a telly. With a, yeah. with a pint of Bovril. Yeah, exactly. When it's that cold, I do. So, I, I, you know, from a purely selfish point of view, I, I wouldn't miss... Who's um, staff? I wouldn't miss the really cold days. Whose staff did we make bo- Bovril for, Tim? Or was it not you? Was it you that made Bovril for... Was it... Saracens staff. I think maybe. I think I helped make Bovril for Saracens uh, yeah. physios and and support staff at one one point. Yeah, you must have been there. I'm sure you were doing the TV. But me and Phil were in the were in the Sail Sharks tunnel, and it was cold. And there's like a little kettle in 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 uh, inside room. So I started making Bovril, and in the end, <laughs> I started making all the Saracens stuff too. <laughs> I've never had a cup of Bovril actually. Never in my Ooh, life. Good. Does it just taste like? Oh, hang on. Beef. Does it taste like gravy? Or Marmite, or what? Yeah, one's, I'm trying to think. One's Marmitey, and the other one's sort of like beef stocky. Yeah, Bovril oh, oh. is a, a bit like a... It's almost like a beefy soup type flavour. It's, it's lovely on a cold day. It's, it's amazing to have on a cold day. And not great in, in, in a summer picnic, though. <laughs> not not going to be a Negroni ingredient anytime soon. Although it seems like every other bloody ingredient is going into a Negroni at the minute. It's an outrage. Leave Ooh. the Negroni. Simplify the Negroni. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great example of um, why rugby shouldn't move to a summer sport. The Negroni. You know, keep keep it simple. Keep it to the essence of what it should be. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Super rugby. You, you mentioned um, law changes, and we mentioned Super rugby. Aitaroa. I think I might be saying that probably totally wrong, but. Was- the, the new Super Rugby competition, there's, there's 10 weeks, the five New Zealand teams, they play each other across 10 weeks. Um, it starts next Saturday. It's going to be shown on Sky Sports in the UK at 6am and then uh, replayed at 10am, which is pretty cool. Um, they've introduced some new laws and not the ones that we discussed last week, the World Rugby. They've, they've totally ignored World Rugby's suggestion of changing the laws to... Um, further world rugby's own ends what what, what like world rugby just must be thinking what, what they they for a governing body they appear to have so little influence just now <laughs> uh they do unfortunately um the laws i don't know if you guys have seen these so there's 
the three of note are so one's not even a law change it's just application of the law so it's applying existing breakdown and offside laws more strictly that i have no problem with that fairer contrast around the breakdown stop teams cynically getting offside to to slow the game down disrupt attacking play crack on lads um next one i don't really mind it gives, gives more results is a golden point if it's a tie at 80 minutes which might make uh, the last few minutes of club games more exciting. But seeing as about one in 20 games or even fewer actually end up as a draw, it's, it's not really going to make much difference in a 10-week in a competition. Um, and the other one, the one that is interesting, which I think... Jamie it might, has, sorry, just going to jump back to that one. What it might do is influence teams to do the decision that England made in the 2015 World Cup against Wales to so just go for it and go for the try rather than equalise with the points. Possibly, yeah. It, it depends where you're starting. If, if the momentum's with you, you might back yourself that, oh, if this goes on another 10 minutes or whatever, if we've got more time, we'll win this. Mm. So it, it, might, it might push a, a bit of both depending on... Well, it could go it, both direct, either direction. Yeah, yeah, you're right. If it was like um, the Lions 2009, where the Lions are hanging on for dear life and South Africa get that penalty at the end... There's no way, like, Lions would have to go for the win then because the longer that game goes on, they're done. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, the other one, the third one, which, which has, um, co- it did cause a little bit of a stir, was um, red-carded players to get replaced after 20 minutes. So they, they, the distinction between the yellow and red is both get replaced, yellow after 10 minutes, red after 20 minutes. And there was originally... Very good. I like that. But, yeah, you know, Jay, you said that before. Yeah, um, that you you'd like to see that. I, I mean, think it's. A, I think when you're talking about player safety, right? If you had two, how can 13 against 50, 15 be? Uh, I mean, I think it's a, a risk worth taking. But in the era where everyone talks about player welfare foremost, takes them on every little angle they possibly can to push the player welfare agenda. When that happens, how can you say that 16? Or, oh, sorry, 50 is 16. Uh, 16 is not fair. Uh, <laughs> 15 versus 13 is, is fair. All, just, to be, all... just to be clear, Phil, you said that yellow card would operate as a yellow card does now where the same player can return, but a red card, a different player has to return after 20. This is a different player, yes. Yeah. yeah. And if, there are, if, if it's a player that's already been replaced, then, then another player can come back on, I presume. Another player can come on, yeah. yeah. So you would, uh, you, you would be operating with fewer players for 20 minutes rather than the, the room, whatever's remaining on the clock. I really, really dislike this for the simple reason that, uh, you know, and people will say, oh, that's old school. You're, 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 you're talking like a dinosaur, Tim. That's fine. But I, I think red cards should be for egregious foul play and for things like gouging, punching, stamping. Uh, that's what, yeah. I, you know, a swinging arm. That's what I want a red card to be dished out for. Um, and and I think what you'll end up with this doing is um, the tariff. Yeah. The tariff for a red card will get lower and lower, and you'll get way more technical red cards. And I don't want that because you just muddy them all up together. A red That's card. Awesome. A red card means an accidental, borderline high shot, and it also means gouging. And I don't yeah. like that. I think you might be right there. I think the threshold will be lower, and there'll be you know a referee hasn't gonna isn't gonna have to make that decision. Are they? Am I gonna ruin this ruin this game? Um, no, I don't think I am. You know, t- two minutes into a match, you you would give out a red card, whereas whereas before you might not. It's that's an interesting debate, and I, I personally don't have a problem with 
um, lowering the threshold. Um, if you're going to, World Rugby, have, whatever you think of them, World Rugby have got uh, a framework for high tackles. That's the most contentious thing. I, I broadly like it. I think it makes it clear decision-making. I don't think it's always been adhered to, and I think the inconsistency is probably the most frustrating thing about it at the moment. Yeah, that's fair. If, if this lowers the threshold for referees giving the red card to align to that um, decision-making framework, I'm okay with it. And, and um, Ross, Tucker did, Ross Tucker did a very good thread on, on that exact thought, which because a lot of people were saying um, at the start, it's it's um, diminishing the seriousness of a red card. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure it necessarily would if ref, or and certainly it wouldn't if referees are going to give them out more frequently. Yeah. Um, it might be player behavior. So less red cards are given out. Well, yeah, they might, that might be a positive thing about it. It's, it's a, a good learning point. You don't want to be that, that bloke who's getting red cards all the time. Even if, even if you are replaced. Now, do you boys want to, break, sorry, do you boys want some breaking news? Mm. Yes, please. Jeff Sampraro, the French prop, is retired, age twenty-seven. Yeah, I saw that earlier. Just just popped up on pop, popped up on my phone now. It's a shame, isn't it? So he's, he, he's fully retired, hasn't he? Yeah. In, he's not retired from international. He's out. He's out. He's gone. He said, uh, "Yeah, don't no longer fancy it. I'm gone." What if he wants to move to Didsbury? <laughs> I thought you had almost too many props these days, Jay. I think we could find room for him. Second team or something. <laughs> um, just on the... Jay, I know you've made the argument before about the, the welfare aspect of red cards. Yeah. There's just something that just doesn't stack up with me on it. It just, is, it just doesn't seem right. Because... So you're reducing... the one playing team for a period of time by it's one player is less than 7%. With that argument, would you stop someone who's made 7% more than the average amount of tackles on safety grounds? No, I wouldn't. Um, but the point, but then make... how, how do you hold the two? How do you hold those two notions at the same time? Uh, because I guess the point I was making is when everyone's talking about health, health and safety of players and welfare of players, uh, I'm amazed that they haven't come to this conclusion themselves. Um, and, you know, 7% for one player. But what if you have, like, uh, a red card and two yellows? I mean, that must then be a, a much bigger workload. So, I, is there not? I know in football, you do actually get games abandoned if you have too many red cards. Three red cards. I, I mean, we've seen Italy versus Tonga, maybe? Oh, yeah. That had five was five. It, was, it might have been Italy versus Fiji. Yes. All um, internationals about four or five years ago. Yeah, now it's a great spectacle. Um, but yeah, in terms of professional sports, I think we think of a red card as you, you, know, you play without a player because, well, because you do. That's how we've always done it. But in, in America, in the NFL, you can get ejected, as they call it, but you don't lose a player. No, that player can't come back. So the team sport and all all the things the coaches have planned and all the strategies and whatnot don't go up in smoke. Um, they just bring on a different guy and away you go. And that should be enough. If you lose your starting prop, that, that should really be enough of a punishment. Now, I, I just one of the things that does always, it annoys me a little bit about red cards is the, the ruin the game, like the, the argument that red cards ruin the game. Because I don't, 
I don't necessarily think they do. And I made this point before, actually. I just think it's worth reiterating from my perspective. I think if you've got either unmatched teams or one team who is very badly organized, red cards can ruin games. But yeah. they don't always. And I'll give you, I'll just give you very quickly five neat examples of first half red cards, early first half red cards, where the they were arm wrestle games and the team with fewer men for the majority of the game won. That's like can I just make a, a quick point? Let's let's see. Well, I'll just see if I can remember some of them before you say them as well. Go oh, on, yeah. Jamie. Do you want to do you want to try and guess the the five I've got down? They're, Saracens they're all... against Saracens against Munster. No, not Saracens. There is a Munster one. Okay, uh, is it Salah? Did did Saracens get a, a red card against Munster? Yeah, oh, I think so. Was it Skelton or something? And they they managed to they managed to sneak it. Ooh, um, I'll I'll look I'll look that up for my. List I, I might might have got that wrong actually. Now, I make any more guesses. This is very much in the same sort of bracket as um, I'll let Sam Burgess know if he's down to earth. I'll let you know if they're neat examples. So, um, I would say you've got South Africa Island there when CJ Stander goes off. Uh, I've not got that. What? That, that's it's another good. You're adding. You're, you're strengthening my point, JB and Tim. What same list. Do you have here? <laughs> Uh, okay, another one would be, would it be Wales versus France? No, because Wales lost. So I, I'm guessing the red, the red carded team must have won. Yes, in all bar one cases, the red carded team won, and in the other case, the red carded team uh, drew the game. Oh well, right. yes, yeah, Sonny Bill Williams. Uh, no, against the no, Lions. Oh, no, they, they lost, lost that game. They lost they that lost. game. That wasn't the draw. Lions yeah, won, of course. That. Uh, I don't know. You, you've stumped me here. Oh, oh, hang on. Elliot Daly's red card. Against oh, Ar yes. Against Argentina. Argentina. 2006. Fifth, fifth minute it was. Fifth minute. Uh, I'm out of ideas. Okay. Do you want me to tell you the draw? Yep. Saracens versus Exeter. Um, Baz Barrington, red card after 11 minutes. And, I remember. And ended up being a draw. Is that on Jeff Parling? Uh, Jeff Pauling with the Baz Barrington, I'm sure it is. I can't, I can't remember who it was on actually. Oh, it was, yeah. a, it was, it was an illegal clean out at a ruck, wasn't it? No, it was a, it was no? a double, uh, it was a double tackle. Oh, that's right. Yes, Brad you're Barrett, right. Brad, Brad Barrett, Barrett makes the first one. Oh, and that's then, right. Yeah, it might have been Pauling actually. Double death, Barrett. Uh, yeah. The other ones, so Munster versus Glasgow in 2016. 18, oh, Earls. Keith Earls, 18th minute oh, yeah. on Fraser Brown. Um, Munster go on to win very comfortably. Uh, Racing versus Toulon in the Pro 14, Pro 14, Top 14 oh, final. Top 14 Ma final, Machineau after 28 minutes, Machineau gets a red card. Racing play the whole of the rest of the game. Oh, is there uh, another Racing one as well with the, the winger? Is. The winger, what's his name? The um... It's... it's uh, a tackle by Zach Holmes of Toulouse on Imhoff. On Imhoff. One Imhoff. That's it. The winger. Oh, is, does Mike Phillips then guide them to victory for the Racing, the Racing game? Or is it um, Teddy? It's 2016. I'm sure Mike Phillips comes on and wins that. Surely that's too late for Mike Phillips. 2016. That's sure Mike Phillips. Let me have a look. Uh, go on. What the... 
that that's it. So Toulouse Racing, uh, Heineken Cup 2019, Toulouse are away in the La Défense Arena. They get a, a red card in the 23rd minute for their starting fly half and go on to win the game away at Racing. Racing v who? Who's the final? Final was Racing Toulon, 20, 2016. Let's have a look. Uh, Someone carry on talking whilst I look at... I'm, I'm also looking it up. Yeah, so I'll I'll just fill I'll fill the gap and just say uh, I, I'm 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 broadly fine with these law this law trial thing. I it's actually why, funnily enough, if you're going to do the 20 minute return to the field thing, I actually prefer the idea of an orange card. So the red card really means something. It's like it's awful, and you better no one's coming back on. You get yourself back out off the pitch. I'm disappointed with you, Sim. I was hoping that you'd fill that gap then with like traffic and weather. Uh, <laughs> I'm only talking about rugby on this podcast. We're not talking about yes. anything else. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't find it. Can um, I just say though, on rugby, I bloody love. In fact, I've got respect for anybody that is willing to put their head above the parapet and say anything uh, like an, an opinion. And Courtney Laws is. I admire the courage of that man. I really admire the courage of Courtney Laws because he doesn't give a damn and he, he could quite easily invite all kinds of... Because we know, we know what sign of, kind of a platform Twitter is and he doesn't care. He just says what he thinks, speaks honestly and from the heart and as a result, people can't, can't touch him because he doesn't, he doesn't bow to... He doesn't do their dance. He doesn't do their dance. He doesn't bow to it. And I, and I think he is a rare and special type of human being. And we're lucky to have him in rugby. Uh, now, uh, on that note, you're not very lucky to have me or Phil because I can't find it. And I don't think Phil can. Or can you? Uh, I've got it. Go on. It was, it was actually the final in the new Camp Barcelona. I'm sure it's Mike Phillips. Uh, Mike Phillips, not in the squad. Um, uh, looking at this... <laughs> he, they did he... Did he so they didn't even replace him. So they played the rest of the game. So as far as I, not as far as I can tell, according to the report I'm reading, none of the backs were replaced at any stage of the game. So, what? And, and no one, so he was red card in the 19th minute. No one on the racing team was replaced until the 63rd minute. And on the 63rd minute, it was, Ben Tamifuna and Dmitry Zarzevsky were replaced. So they're not being replaced uh, for, a, for a scrum half. So I can assume, so Dan Carter played 10. Uh, Bryce Doolan played 15. So I do wonder if Doolan went in. And actually, uh, Johan Usen played 13 as well. So I wonder between Doolan and Usen if one of those went to... Where's Usen gone? Is he in Montpellier now? Uh... Well, we all know he retired to go and commercially manage a cattle ranch in South Africa. Standard. Uh, he is officially at Montpellier, but I can't remember seeing him playing. I can't remember the last time I've heard a single peep out of him. He's, He's got such... players to... Yeah, such a talented player. Only He's still only 27 as well. Wow. Uh, so it wasn't Mike Phillips. There we go. No Mike Phillips. Sadly not. Uh, <laughs> There was there was a Welshman playing in the game though. 
Uh, who would that be? What year? Uh, what year? 2016. Toulon Get- versus Racing. Get Jamie Roberts. Yeah. Jenkins. Noah Note. Luke Charteris. Nope. Oh. He was playing for Toulon in 2016. Lee Halfpenny. Halfpenny. Very good. Well my, jo- my Georgian my Georgian interpreter <laughs> and yeah Mimuka Godson was on the pitch so I wonder if he did some interpreting that day <laughs> <laughs> what else yeah. we got then on our list of uh, on our to-do list um, minor report oh yeah so it's, it's I think I think it's been unanimously approved by Premiership Rugby Board but I think it, I think it's going to be voted in by the clubs next week is that right Tim apparently well, not well they've been trying to over the over the last weeks they've been trying to get it through and haven't been able to get the 10 signatories or it's either more it's either 10 or more than 10 because there are there are at least three clubs who are against in, in implementing all the proposals that is a reduction in the salary cap redu- removal of marquee players well and, well, and various other things so I don't think so, yeah, the, the removal of Marquis is potential. Yeah. The, minor, the Miners report is purely... So he is quite strongly for the removal of Marquis players or exempt players. But the report, that's not the specific recommendation. The recommendation is just a review with the view to remove it. He yes. is not specifically saying, yes, definitely remove it. Yes. So, well, the, the rumours are, and again, I, I don't know this. I'm only saying what's been reported elsewhere, that it's... a uh, Bath, Bristol, Exeter, and Saracens are the four that are l- least keen, and they need one of those. That's what it is. They need one of those to sign up with the other nine clubs to make it the ten that will get it through to the next stage where they can organise what it is. So it just needs one of rumoured. Just repeat so- that. I'm report. I'm only repeat. I'm only regurgitating what I've seen written elsewhere. Bristol, Bath, Exeter, or Saracens. One of them to sign up. Well, I um, I think you're wrong, Tim. Because I've got it first hand. I'm only saying it's a rumour. Uh, a statement has already been released supporting the recommend- recommendations. No further vote is required, is what I understand. So that, that was broadly where I thought it was. But then I did. Oh, okay. I, did I, thought, read... I was reading the rugby paper today. So I, I re- then read something that said it was the board that had unanimously gone for it with the clubs to, to agree. So I'm. I'm still a little bit confused. We might about both be right. Exactly, exactly where it is. We might both be right. It's, it's a work in progress, anyway. But it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. Um, so I will just apologise for our um, when we did our uh, little deep dive about three weeks ago into the miners' report, uh, which go back and listen if you're interested in that because we, we spent a bit of time going through it. Now, one of the things I said on that, which was how I read it, which was wrong was I, I actually read it as they were putting it forward as a shopping list of um, recommendations, which would make perfect sense to me. You pick and choose the ones that um, are most appropriate for, for the time. It was not written in that way. It was a all or nothing recommendation from miners. So when the clubs, whenever or if they already have, whenever they accept this, if they're going to accept it, it's all or nothing. It's every one of these gets implemented including things that I do agree with, like simplification of the rules um, and more flexibility for the disciplinary panel and separating 
the clubs from being directly involved in the the sanctioning of other clubs while they're going through the process, which seems crazy. And to some of the stuff that I think is a bit too intrusive and administrative around the um, making basically everyone involved in the running of the club and the players and the agents all accountable for providing evidence. Uh, so it looks like it might be all, which would be, it's quite a bold step that I think, because it does add in a time when uh, money is very tight, it adds a huge additional administrative burden to the clubs and the league. Uh, yeah, I, look, I, I think anything which strengthens the salary cap is better. Um, uh, of course, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm in favour of the 25% player cuts, sorry, player wages cuts. But uh, yeah, I am in favour of a more professionally run salary cap, so that's pretty good. Yeah, me too. And, and the, the, the reason I'm particularly against the, the additional administrative burden is um, the... So the per, everyone should be bought into the purpose of the salary cap. And it's, it's clear up to this point that they haven't all been bought into the same level to the overall detriment of the league and the game. And I, th- I think that the club should realise and the owners of the club should realise that they should buy in because they're ultimately, what, even if they're having a few years of success, ultimately they're harming themselves if there are these underhand illicit activities being seen and going out into to public. So it's of, it's, in my mind, it's in their own interest to fully buy in and fully support this. It had, adds more long-term value to them. So I don't think you should need that uh, overreach and access, excessive administration by making all of the players declare all of their income from all streams at all times. It just seems like overkill if it's set up in the right way in the first place. Yeah, quite. Um, and the marquee player will be interesting because mine is, I don't know if you read the um, the uh, interview with him in the Daily Mail that came out this weekend. Go on. Um, so he, he compared the marquee players to an opera house. He was previously a director of an opera house. And he said whenever the opera house made more money, it wasn't the normal people working there, or, and even the normal musicians, never mind the, the maintenance man and the people selling ice creams and all the rest of it, that saw that money. It was just the mega stars got more money. And he said he would do away with the marquee player because he doesn't like that situation. He wants it to filter down equally. Yeah, we all want it to filter down equally, of course. But we're not all equal. <laughs> you know? I, 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 that's a very nice thought, Mr. Miners. But um, you need your stars. And you know, I can see an argument for both. I actually think if it's a nice, tight, controlled environment, that you might be able to get, get away with it. But you know, I don't have a problem if you want to pay... I don't know, whoever the best fullback is in the world, Israel Falau as much as much money as you want. <laughs> and, and that's so on the principle, I've not got, I, I'm fine with that. The other side of it is was he operating a marquee system in his opera house? No, and he's, he's still presumably no, and all <laughs> the money still went to the top players anyway. So it's actually not going to sort like taking away the marquee player is not going to solve the problem. He was running the opera house, right? <laughs> yeah. Good questions be asked. <laughs> Can um, I just... Oh, sorry, yeah. go on, Phil. Well, no, the, the other thing is, to, to refer back to a point that, from his own document, of the 24 highest paid players in the, the Premiership last season, 
seven of them were not marquee players. So yes. not the, the, most, the best paid players were not all marquee players. So the, the money will filter to the talent regardless of the marquee players. Um, you know, I guess it will stop the, the ultimate se- separation of the average player being on 100K and five players being on a million pounds. It, will, it would presumably narrow that gap slightly. You know, a very, very bright man, uh, and I won't mention his name, but probably one of the most clued in business minds I've, I have met um, explained to me basically what uh, his plan for a passive salary cap. I call it a passive salary cap, but uh, effectively what it meant was that clubs can spend as much as they want, providing that they're profitable. That's the only thing that you need to do is be profitable. And if, if you just spent within your limits to be profitable, um, yeah, all- but, but that is just that that can be a really messy situation. Like, look at Man City, yeah, and Pat- like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're financial fair play, honest. And all it is is their their sponsorship from Etihad, who happened to own them, went up by about five billion pounds a year. That That's all that would happen, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it does. Sorry, just the other argument for that is one of the reasons why I love the Premiership is it's ultra competitive. Nine different winners in the last 25 years. And ignoring, if you take out Saracens when we know they were, were financially doping or cheating, um, it is an ultra, ultra competitive league and anyone can beat anyone on a given day. And you risk losing that if you do the financial fair play style. Yeah, I mean, if I was a player, I'd be saying let people spend as much money as they want to spend on yeah, salaries. So absolutely. I do feel- and that's the other thing. Like, People say about the players, like, oh, well, you know, they're in a dream world. Not really. You're the one that signed the checks. You're, like, you're the one that paid them. Don't say player inflation is getting ridiculous. You paid the players. I don't like that argument one bit. Here's something that, that I think is a great idea. This could be profitable. Oh, yes. So, I'm, I'm uh, Dan Carter has signed for Auckland Blues for this. Uh, I'd say I need to work out how to pronounce this. I'm not even going to try. Oh, for this Super Rugby tournament, Atarua. yeah. Yes. For this Super Rugby tournament, what an opportunity, don't you think, to have a kind of last dance type documentary? The 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 old legend and the new legend, <laughs> the old and the new together, fly on the wall, waltz and all. I don't think it would be as fun as <laughs> the last dance, but they they should oh, do they should be doing something. There should be all access cameras all over Bowden Barrett and Dan Carter. You are so wrong, Tim. You are so, so wrong. So the first 15 years are going to be dull as dishwater. And then it's going to be the moment, Jay, when, when Rodman goes to Vegas, <laughs> right? When Carter goes to Paris. And that's when it all just goes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And maybe, yeah. With guest appearance from Ali Williams. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, we did have fun. Oh, we really had fun. <laughs> uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see, because this is the biggest name in rugby now and the biggest name in rugby in, the, in recent history, along with Richie McCaw. Yeah, for, for 12 of the last 15 years or so, 12 of the last 20 years, it, it's been Dan, Dan Carter. I'm just looking at pictures of Dan Carter now and he still looks great. I mean, he still looks old. I mean, I do not think fly halves really age that much. Carlos Spencer could could still win a probably win a heavyweight boxing match and smash it in I, on the rugby field as well. He's got yeah. Both of those boys are. In, I mean, maybe Carlos Spencer's slightly different because 
I mean, he's such a physical freak. The way he could run, his balance, or maybe that does go a little bit with age. I don't know. But Dan Carter could control. I mean, he did everything. But he could control the game. Dan Carter has not forgotten how to control the game. In fact, if anything, he knows more. Like he, it's a good signing. It's a good sign. I imagine he's going to be very good. And if he's not very good, I mean, could they replace him with anyone? Is there anyone? Is there anyone they can, like? Could they bring someone off the bench to replace him at ten? <laughs> yeah, this so, is me, this maybe decent Bodie. kid. Modi probably yeah. do right, but how good for Joe Marchant as well. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. How good for Joe Marchant? I mean, Joe Marchant's going to come back, and uh, you know, we're just talking about player inflation. Then, I mean, if he gets his if he gets his head right and can be put into space by Dan Carter and also um, Bowden Barrett, and also have people supporting him, like I don't know, Rico, uh, Rico, you are. <laughs> Is good. He, you know, he's going to be demanding a lot more money when he re- uh, when he returns back to London. Yeah, and be a good shout for, well, England squads going forward. It's, it's an amazing environment to be learning in. Christ, look what it did for um, what's his name's career? The guy at Northampton. Uh, Tamana Harrison. It's Piers Francis. Piers Francis. Piers Francis. <laughs> yeah. But also, also look at Matt Simon's career, which was people were talking yeah. him up for England and just but, never happened. Yeah, but he got paid, and that's the important part. <laughs> he he would have yeah. got paid. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I just yeah. want Joe Moore to come back and get paid. That's that's my number one priority. For, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he plays for England, he'll get paid. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you get yeah. those twenty six thousand a game, you're getting paid. And I guess. Would you want to want Joe Morton around just to pick his brains? What for the for England? No, no, just like in 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 the club environment. I mean, what a cool guy to have around. Who's oh also, yeah, New Zealand trained a different way, played with Bowden Barrett and played with Dan Carter. And that's if you could, if you take it back a few years, one of the, the last guys to do this early in their career was Haskell. Yeah, it was. And Haskell didn't always have the best time of it, particularly under Lancaster. Yeah. But for the first two years of Eddie Jones, Haskell was phenomenal. That, like, Eddie Jones really got the best out of Haskell. That, that Australian tour um, in 2016, he was absolutely sensational. I'll that, tell you what, you, uh, Joe March is going to be able to piss on Marcus Smith's chips when he comes back, isn't he? He's going to be, oh, you want to pass it like that, Marcus? Dan and, Dan and Bowden don't do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you started it that way. Now, I don't, you know, as you all know, I know nothing about New Zealand rugby. Um, nothing. Um, will they play both these lads at the same time? They might play Bowden at 15, because that's where he played in the World Cup. He played, and for the last year or so, with Moonga at 10, he's played a fair bit at 15. But I think Foss's first cap was at 12. But 12's an awful big ask, isn't it, for a 40-year-old? So he's, he is 38, but he's... So in the pictures, he looks great. The one thing he doesn't look is heavyweight. No, he doesn't so, he? So he's played the last couple of years in Japan, which, while there are heavyweight players, it, the whole league is not heavyweight. So I'm not but, sure I'd want Dan Carter at 12. Yeah, I completely agree. Boone Barrett, maybe, but he's not really at 12. I mean, no, not really. I no. guess I would. Is um, Moilonu still there? Is he in America now? He's in the he's States, in a... isn't he? Yeah, I think he's in the States. Not with the Jill Bronies or the Jill Teenies. 
Paul's <laughs> the pity. I think he's with the Austin Herd or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dan Carter at 12 or Bowden Barrett. I won't want either of them having uh, Laumapi or someone like that running at them no. down that channel. No, no, no. No, no, no chance. No. Get them out of the way. Yes. Get them out of the way. Um, so any, other, any other business before we're, we're done, gents? Rugby or otherwise? Uh, I don't think so. We Is there any other need... sporting documentary? Oh, sorry, go on, Phil. What are you going to say? We need a game for next week. Do we? Ye- uh, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do need some homework for next week. Oh, we I, I, I don't to pay attention to it or we'll get nasty emails from idiots. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, you see, we, at some point very soon, we're going to do New Zealand v France from the 2007 World Cup, the quarterfinal. Ooh, the Thierry Dussatoire game. But let's keep our powder dry on that one because hopefully we might have a bigger platform to, to cover that one on. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So someone, someone suggested Australia versus New Zealand in 2000. 2000. Yeah, that's a crazy game. Which is meant to be, yeah. Which is meant to be one of the Unbelievable game of rugby. Like crazy. Let me see if I can get it on YouTube. That's like a um, massive comeback. Lomu was playing Sterling Mortlock for Australia. It was that kind of era. So it's, it's called, I've, I've got a one hour, 45 minute long version on YouTube. Done. So let, let's do this. It's, it's an official one. It uh, looks like from the All Blacks. Um, and they, it's called on it, slightly ironically, Game of the Century, which is given it was in um, the year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> was also one of the first games of the century. Hang on. Don't, wouldn't you say that that is the... If you're counting to 10, wouldn't that be the, the last year of the century? Well, they tend... Because we did the, the new millennium in 2000, didn't you? So that, I would, which, in hindsight, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I can see it being the other way around. Yeah, I mean, we all know hindsight's 20, 2020, but they, we should have gone through 2020 and celebrated 2021 if you're doing it properly. So th- this was... So you're saying that a game in the year 2000 was the best game of the 20th century? Yeah, actually, I am right, because you wouldn't celebrate year 10 as the start of the next century, would you? Well, hold on, hold on, because like year, year zero, it's one, you, you do a full year before you get to the number one. Yeah, you do. And so, so actually, the year 2000, the 2000th year was 1999, so it's definitely the start of a new century. Yes, good point, Tim, well made. Stuff. Sorry? Thank God we clear yeah. Thank God we <laughs> It's like it's like your birthday. You're not you're not when you get to thirty, you're not thirty years old, you're actually starting your thirty first year. You've just completed thirty years. God, that's awful. So I'm starting my thirty seventh year. Yes. More experience, JB. Yeah. Just like Potter. Exactly. <laughs> Look how much you've achieved. Look how much you've achieved. Look what you've managed to do in this time, JB. Your time on earth. And God. I, I'm going to now go write a list of all the things I've done and put it next to all the things that Dan Cors has done. And then... <laughs> and JB, I must say, you not quite in Dan Carter shape, but you are looking very slim at the moment. We can't, we can't fully see your, your rig right now. But... He's gone, disappeared. 16, How many? 16, 16 kilograms of gone. Stand up, stand up. So what are you weighing in at now? Uh, 100, oh, 100, sorry, uh, 94 this morning. Oh, you dweeb. Absolutely. <laughs> and, 
homework's got really, really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't reset, but yeah, I'm 24 kilograms at the moment, down from 100. What's your secret? Is it, all, is it clean eating? Yeah, eating like a monk, working out once a day and going for a, a run of at least five, five kilometres or, or a walk. Walking is essential at, at, at my advanced years. You how, are you, how are you being disciplined with your food? Because that's the bit I'm finding hardest. I tell you what, uh, the more disciplined you are, the harder it is to eat. And what I mean by that is I'm just not hungry at all anymore. I really struggle to eat uh, 2,000 calories because I need to have 200 grams of protein. And if you start doing that, you don't want to eat. It's horrible. But, like, but when there's food there all the time, it's there in your kitchen and you could just walk in and graze. That's the bit yeah. I find really hard. I, I, yeah, really, really hard. You, you've just got to bin all the food. Uh, <laughs> you've got to bin all the food. Be really strict. It, Sorry, a, kids. Look, yeah. <laughs> a, or, the thing is, right, we, I feed my kids absolute nonsense. I think I would never put that in my body right now. I mean, maybe next month when I'm over this fad, I will. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, why would you feed, uh, feed your kids that? Uh, but the point is, if you look at your macros and you try and get 200 grams of protein, well, 190 grams now. Uh, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard, go- uh, 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 hard going. So yeah, because by that you don't mean a 200 gram piece of chicken. You mean uh, the 200 grams of protein within food, yeah. lump of chicken, which is a much, much bigger bit of chicken. But yeah, yeah, but you're doing it over a full day. So you're doing yeah. it via eggs, chicken, yeah. steak, yogurt, everything. Yeah, you could ease. I think I could easily eat just once a day and not be bothered about food for the rest of the day now. That would be an interesting... I mean, there is like the... Intermittent uh, fast. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, well, that, um, that, uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, the one time it worked for me was when I didn't have my breakfast until about 11. And and because I just... I had to... When I'm limiting the amount I eat, I have to have something to look forward to. Otherwise, it psychologically <laughs> tortures me. Steak for breakfast, mate. Steak for breakfast is, is a godsend. Steak for that every, every morning with some eggs. From Frosty the Butcher? Absolutely from Frosty. Mm. <laughs> mm. this, is, this is exactly what people... No, I don't care. It's, 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 it's my podcast and they will hear what, whatever I want them to hear. <laughs> I, need, I need a tip of something else to watch because I watched Peep Show the whole nine seasons at, at the start of lockdown because Phil reminded me how, how awesome it was. Amazing. And also, and also Charlie Morgan's favourite show from, from The Telegraph. Mm. Look at his Twitter. Lots of lots of peep show references. Um, I've watched I've watched Last Dance um, with, with the kids. I've watched all twenty three of the Marvel Universe films. <laughs> the, uh, that's what I've done with them during lockdown. Yeah, we, we watched them in chronological order. So we, uh, the, not the order they were released, but the order they happened. And we've done all twenty three uh, movies in the order they happened. Ah, uh, uh, okay. I, I actually understand it. So have you watched? It's not. It's quite old now, but the F1 documentaries on Netflix. Oh, yeah, you mentioned this. No. Word. Like, I, I could not stop watching motorsport uh, YouTube videos now. People and have started talking about 30 for 30, the Lance Armstrong one on BT Sport, an ESPN sh- documentary, which is on BT Sport. Apparently, that's going to be really good. Ooh. So, yeah, I, I, I'd go back and look at all uh, and watch all of them. But I know it's not what you think, Tim, but go and watch the F1 docs. Um, it, it's addictive. I, I now have to play computer games with cars in and all sorts. It, it's just weird. I've, <laughs> I don't even own a car. So you're losing all this weight and you've become a computer game nerd. 
Yeah, maybe they're correlated. You're turning into a beta, a beta male, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I cried the other day. <laughs> I'll bring you around a soy, a soy latte in the morning to make you feel better. <laughs> yeah, fuck up my reserves. <laughs> uh, right, that is enough. Right, we're done. We're done. We're out. Right, so uh, watch. We'll, we'll put a link. Go watch New Zealand v Australia from 2000. The blood is low. Game of the century. Uh, find us at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. Him at JB Moore. Me at Cocker. And we've got through a whole podcast. And apart from that last couple of minutes, we spoke about nothing but rugby, which must be sweet relief from everything else going on in the world. So with that, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 